Nehrum, uh, a number of interesting things have transpired. He worked for seven years for Rachel and ended up marrying Leah instead, without his actually knowing it, and uh, then had to work another seven years to pay off for Rachel. So he ended up having two wives, and uh, they each had a handmaid, and he started having children by first one and then another, and it was all a big mess. And so he worked 14 years for his uncle Laban, for the two women. He's ready to go home and Laban says, no, I really need you, name your wages. And so he names as his wages the spotted, speckled, and striped animals, of which there would normally not be that many, so Laban thinks it's a great deal. And Jacob thinks he's got a way of making it a great deal because he's going to put kind of uh, strips in the, take the bark off in strips of, of branches of trees, put them in front of the animals as they're mating, because then that way their, you know, offspring would come out striped, since they were looking at something striped when they made it. Obviously, that's, you know, Jacob's lack of understanding of genetics and various other things. The weird thing is, though, it came out that way. <laughs> Which is the pattern of what's been happening in Jacob's life yeah. all along. In Jacob's life, he always has a plan to get things for himself. And he always thinks it's his plan that's getting it. When what we know is, his plan doesn't have anything to do with it, it's God that's giving it to him. So with the birthright, God had already said, the older will serve the younger, but he thought it was his sale of buying of the birthright that gave it to him. With the blessing, same deal. He thought it was the, you know, thing they did to try to deceive his father when really God had said that would be that way all along. And here, he assumes it's the rods that make them come out with striped, speckled, and spotted sheep and goats and so forth, but it had nothing to do with that. But God was blessing Jacob and he was keeping Laban from having all the profit off of Jacob's labor that Laban thought that he would. That's where we are now. 20 years in Paynarum, 14 working for his wives, 6 working for these wages. Comments or questions before we start into 31? Do people not like this speckled and spotted as well? Like, were they not as good? Or, because obviously God required, like, unblemished, you know, but that was just because they needed to be perfect for God, but... Man, I don't have an answer to that, and I don't even know if that would consider be considered as a blemish or not for God. Oh, okay. I don't know. Is that... I, I don't either, but the wool, uh, if, if the color of the wool mattered, that would matter to somebody buying the wool, I guess. That, that possibility, yeah. You know, you, you'd hate to have a striped sheepskin rug or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But there would have been. The mutton ought to be just as good, though. Do I? But there would have been less of that kind, you said. So that's why Laban was. I think so. I think the idea is that normally they'd be plain color. And so Laban think good deal for me. And he took the off colored animals away so he had none of those to start with. So I think Laban thinks he's engineered this to where it's going to be a good deal for him. And I think Jacob's already got his plan thinking that it's going to work for him. Right. So they're both trying to double-cross the other one, it looks to me like, you know, trying to get their own advantage. And the truth is, the Lord's got his hand in it, so... <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that Laban, uh, uh, rather, uh, Jacob, uh, make sure that this is going to be easy to, to, to see who's his who's. Uh, Good point, yeah. Who can dispute... If it's a multicolored sheep or goat, it's Jacob's. Mm -hmm. So that was another advantage to this plan for him, because you know how Laban was, a good bit like Jacob. You know, he'd take advantage of any opportunity. Other thoughts? All right, uh, how about chapter 31, verses 1 to 16? Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying... Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. 
So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he, if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. He said, Lift up now your eyes, and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Okay, so you can see here kind of the situation that we are seeing, and you can kind of uh, imagine it. Because as God is blessing Jacob, and the animals seem to all turn out whatever Laban has last said would be Jacob's wages, how do Laban's sons feel toward Jacob? They don't like him much. Why not? They're jealous. Jealous, yeah. yes. It's going to be theirs. <laughs> yeah. He's taken away their inheritance when it's all said and done because uh, whatever Laban's has theoretically will ultimately be theirs whenever he's gone. So they see Jacob as horning in on the, the stuff they wanted. And uh, so that's uh, it's kind of a uh, traumatic thing, uh, a, for, a stressful thing for everybody. And Jacob realizes, you know, this just is not a good thing. And Laban is getting resentful too. And the Lord tells Jacob it's time for him to go back. And so everything's kind of lining up that Jacob's just, you know, overstayed his welcome. It's time for him to go home. <coughs> it's been a while, though, 20 years. And so he calls his wives. Where does he speak to them? In the field. I wonder why. It's private there. I think that's it. I think he did not want Laban or his sons overhearing this conversation. We'll see in a little bit. They intend to leave when Laban and his sons don't know so that there's no uh, interference that they uh, give toward this. But basically he's going to have to make his case to Rachel and Leah that they really need to leave. Now he puts several points here. And one of the things that's encouraging at this point is how Jacob puts this. Do you notice the contrast that he keeps making between who and who? What two beings does uh, Jacob contrast? Laban and God. Laban and God. In verse 5, I see your father's attitude. It's unfriendly, but the God of my father's been with me. Then in 7, your father cheated me. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. In verse 8, if he spoke thus, verse 9, thus God has taken away your father's livestock. So he sees God as basically overcoming the animosity of Laban. And he's right about that. It's, it's kind of encouraging to see Jacob say that. It's not a real a common thing that he would acknowledge. Uh, maybe he's coming around a little bit, uh, but he's certainly right about that. It certainly is the Lord 
that has kept Laban from harming him. It's the Lord that's been with him. It's the Lord that every time Laban changed the wages, God changed the flock <laughs> or the herd or whatever. You know, so God has kept right in step with the, uh, what Laban was doing. And we find out about something else that also um, should encourage you know, Rachel and Leah to want to go with Jacob back to his homeland. And what is that that he reveals to them? That God has spoken to him. God spoke to him in this dream. And God told him in the dream that he was the one that was taking care of him in spite of what Laban was doing to him. And then he says in the end of 13, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. So this is basically the case that Jacob lays out before Rachel and Leah saying, I think it's time for us to go back to my homeland. And what do, what do Rachel and Leah say? Our father has sold us and used up the purchase price, so we'll go with you. We think that's fine. He's double-crossed us too. We're ready to go. So they're all in this together, um, and they say, do whatever God's told you. So they're, they're okay with this, and everybody is on the same page. But think about what this is. This is 20 years. Trying to steal what God would have given him anyway, Jacob has to flee from Esau and from home for 20 years. It would have been a whole lot better if he'd have done things God's way in the first place. I don't know if he's really come to grips with that yet or not, but I think that's an inter this is an interesting situation. Comments and questions on these first 16 verses. We, we've noticed that uh, <coughs> when Abraham's servant came to Padanera, he, he attributed everything that he had done to God. When Jacob came, there's nothing, he, he says nothing about God until this, this point. He has not uh, of course, he may have started before now, but now he is acknowledging God in his life. He's not talking about those strips of of uh, uh, wood and so forth, or things like that. Uh, so I, I see that I, I, I think he has uh, stepped up here. That's what you would hope, and you know it may be all that he's gone through has started making him see his need for the Lord more. Sometimes adversity really helps us turn to God. I've wondered about this too, or I'm wondering about this too. The only other time that I can really see Jacob up till now acknowledging God was on his way to Paden Aram when he had that dream with the ladder and the Lord being there. It almost looks to me like Jacob thinks about the Lord when the Lord appears to him in some sort of a uh, dream. You know, when the Lord kind of imposes himself on him, but otherwise he doesn't think a lot about him. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to know how to read that. But it is curious to me that those are the two times up till now that he seems to really be kind of seeing the Lord's role in his life. Maybe that's true for us as well. I mean, maybe only at certain crisis points. You know, it's kind of like when, when things are going along normally, we tend to think God doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, when we're in kind of a real need uh, and the Lord does something that we see as more extraordinary, then we're more likely to give him the credit. I don't know. Thoughts? You could argue here, though, that it just happens that God's will coincides with his at this point. Yes. And, I mean, I would argue that I don't think their motives are all, even his wives are not the purest. Yes. They're, they're looking at, oh, well, this becomes ours instead of our father's, so certainly they would agree with him. And he turns around and sneaks off as if God's not going to protect him to go back. So there's a lot of things that point to it's like well it, it's just convenient right now to really attribute to God and and even attributing the offspring of the flock when he was working all along to make them the way he you know doing what he thought was causing it. 
So it's like, okay, now let's attribute it to God, and God said, let's go. So he's using, a, he's making a pretty good case to his wives by using God. And I think that's a possibility. I've thought about that angle. Sometimes it's so hard to know how to read these things, but I think it's possible that he's more kind of using God to try to convince the wives. I, I do think that's a possibility. Knowing the character of Jacob, it's hard to see that as not a possibility anyway. Uh, I'm pretty much neutral on that question, but I, I, that's, a, that's a perspective worth considering. Especially all you see in Jacob. And the fact that you don't really see, in this chapter at least, a total change of character in Jacob in terms of the kinds of things that he's doing and saying. And we're like that sometimes. I mean, wow. Uh, whether this is Jacob here or not, there are certainly plenty of people that will use God when he's convenient. You know, they'll bring up, well, and this is what God wants you to do when it's what they want you to do, but, not, but they don't care about God's will otherwise. So, other thoughts? The uh, Laban's sons weren't, I don't think, completely accurate either. Then accusing Jacob of taking away what once belonged to, unless you would consider the offspring of the, the lambs, or, you know, the, they once, all of those belonged to Laban. But he was hired for that price, so he's not really taking away the... The possession, either it, way. It it's got to be frustrating to them, though, every time Laban changes the wages, God changes the outcome of the offspring. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would assume Laban's sons probably are a lot like he was. So, uh, you know, they're probably wanting all of it for themselves and begrudging every last animal Jacob gets, and he's getting a bunch of them right now. It appears that he had prospered a lot in the 14 years. Yes. So he was expecting that continued growth. Yes. So it, it, I mean, it doesn't appear to me that they weren't multiplying and growing even on his possessions, but certainly Jacob's part was more so. Well, it looks like God sees that Jacob as being wronged by Laban, and so that God just sort of thwarts everything Laban's trying to do. I mean, it's it's always so interesting that, you know we sometimes only see the human factors. And so we think in terms of, well, if you do this, this will happen. But we forget God's involved. And that can totally switch things out. I was just studying last night, uh, we were doing Proverbs at church, and uh, one of the Proverbs that we were covering last night, in Proverbs 10 and uh, verse uh, 2 and 3, Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Now, you can see sometimes how even from a natural standpoint, ill-gotten gains wouldn't profit. You don't have to rob many banks before you'll probably get caught. You know, and you'll lose it all and be in jail for a long time. In that sense... Even, you know, somebody who doesn't believe in God at all could say, you'll got engaged no profit. But listen, you know, when you get some cash payment under the table, and there's not a record of it, and you don't report it to the IRS, what are the chances that they're ever going to know about it? I mean, you're not going to get caught from that. You know, that's where it looks like ill-gotten gains. Well, sure, that'll profit except you forget to factor in the Lord. And he will reverse things. He's got all kinds of ways of turning the tables on the first new things. They've got the upper hand. And that, I think, is what Proverbs was saying in verse 3. You know, it looks like he'll gain, gotten gains sometimes with profit, but they won't because the Lord is involved. And he rejects the cravings of the wicked. And, and, and so often... You know, we, we're thinking only from a, a, a human standpoint. And if you don't factor in God, there's a whole lot of things that'd be different than the way they really turn out. God is involved, and he can do all kinds of stuff. And if he wants to make all the sheep and cattle turn out striped or spotted or speckled or whatever he wants, he's well able to do that. And, uh, you know, so, so I think that uh, is a big factor. 
Thoughts? Ecclesiastes 11, 5. You do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Uh, that, there's a there's yeah. a lot of different angles that you can learn. I had not thought about what you were just talking about, but that's good. Yeah, well, there are so many things to think about. There's so many things you see, even in in fairly simple stories like like what we're reading. You know, you can see a lot of principles about the Lord. Other thoughts? Seventeen to twenty-five. Uh, Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Dan Aram, uh, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. And God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the, of the night, and said to him, Be careful what you be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. And Laban caught up with Jacob uh, now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. All right. So all signs indicate Jacob should leave. Laban doesn't like him. Laban's sons don't like him. His wives are ready for him to leave. God says for him to leave. So he leaves. But it wasn't quite so easy it as it had been to get there. Why not? He's got more stuff. He picked up a lot these last 20 years. Like four wives and 11 kids and 12 maybe and uh, Dinah and a bunch of animals. And this is going to be more of an ordeal to get gone. But he's trying to do this how? Yeah, he doesn't want Laban to know about it. And so he's trying to steal away while Laban and them are off in the sheep shearing. And uh, that way maybe they can just get out of there without Laban doing anything to try to stop them. Well, they take a little bit more than just the animals. What does Rachel manage to get her hands on? The idols. The household idols. She steals away too. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> Why did she want them? Especially after verse 16. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our Father <laughs> Good point. belongs to us. Now do whatever God has said to you. So that might not have been as sincere as what it sounded. I mean, she had grown up with these idols. I assume. So, what? It's a memory of home. Memory? Maybe more than that. Well, she seems to think that uh, she's, she's owed something. Yes, and it could be this is her way of taking something that she thinks she earned and deserves. I've wondered if this wasn't something she thought would kind of protect her on the journey. You know, kind of have her a rabbit's foot, you know. So got the household gods to take care of her. There's several explanations, but that's that's the one I favor at the moment. Could they have had value in and of themselves? Uh, maybe. But I'm not sure she would have seen it that way. You know, yeah, probably so, but usually idolaters don't think of the value in and of themselves. They think of the value by having a connection with whatever God it is. Do I don't know. Do you think maybe that it would have been because her father was really... Was really uh, attached to this so maybe she was purposely trying to maybe make him it, about that? it's possible but it strikes me as not very I don't know why she'd want to make him angry necessarily I see more if she thinks they can do something for her hmm. or whatever that's worth it's weird though we've uh, we've come up with a new crime 
god napping. <laughs> you know, did you know somebody could steal a god? You know, but that's what she's done. And, uh, so that's kind of uh, interesting. Uh, well, you know, Laban finds out three days later that Jacob has fled, and so he pursues him. It takes him a few days to catch up, but he does. You wonder what he might have done if the Lord hadn't intervened on this one. God spoke to him in a dream of the night saying, you better not do anything good or bad to Jacob. <laughs> and, you know, God is protecting Jacob in spite of Jacob having a number of serious problems. God has said that the promise would go through Jacob and it's going to, and God's going to see to it that he gets taken care of. Comments and thoughts? So many times Jacob was worried about this or that or the other thing, and all it took was God appearing to Laban and said, ah, 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 and, and, and it was exactly the way God said it was going to be. So this is one time that Jacob didn't have a contingency plan for Laban chasing him. You know, <laughs> yeah, even when he true. goes to meet Esau, he's got a plan for You're right. that. And he didn't need it. Here he didn't have one, and, and God took care of it like he promised. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. He didn't need his contingency plan. <coughs> How close would they have been to home? Not real, probably. So I'm just trying to figure out where... where but I am terrible had. with, uh, you know, biblical ge geography, so I don't know the answer. Does somebody know? Well, Gilead. So they wouldn't have been... In that the east of the Jordan? Yeah, yeah. So they would have been already not too far away from so Jacob's family and Esau. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. So what do you want to... I mean, maybe, maybe Jacob thought he could... But I guess my point is maybe Jacob thought he could make it to his home, at which point Laban's abilities to... Jacob partner. might have thought that. Of course, how? who knows how long it might have been before Laban <coughs> had heard about it even. Mm -hmm. And Jacob might have thought that if they get some distance away, Laban wouldn't pursue them. I don't know. Good thing the Lord intervened. Other thoughts? All right, 26 to 42. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre? and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. And now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Lest you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? 
set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Alright, so when Laban comes to Jacob, he says, what have you done by deceiving me? You might look back at 29.25, where Jacob said to Laban, Laban, what is this you have done to me? And why then have you deceived me? You know, they've uh, been double-crossing each other uh, rather regularly. And um, why is, what does Laban say he's complaining about? He didn't get the chance to wish him goodbye. Well, yeah, they could have had a really nice send-off. He had a party, going away party, you know. He didn't even give him a chance to, uh, you know, kiss him goodbye. So, you know, this would have been a really, you know, cool family occasion if he'd have just told him. <laughs> you know, hard telling what that would have created, but that's what he says. And he said, I could have hurt you, but God told me not to. <laughs> He's honest about that. Um, but there's one thing that still really bugs him. And what really bugs Laban? You stole my gods. You stole my gods. You stole my idols. Why'd you do that? You know, of all things. And what does Jacob say? Because I was afraid. I, I left because I was afraid, and I didn't know what you'd do. And what about stealing the gods? The person who stole them will die. Yeah. You find them with any one of us, they'll die. <laughs> wow. Listen, just be careful what you say. Yes. These rash vows. Wow. Rachel breaks out in a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly gets faint. <laughs> yeah. Wow. If Jacob had only known what he was saying right then. And he had to eventually know. <laughs> if she produced the gods, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unless she threw them in a ravine. <laughs> Who knows? But, you yeah. know, and at that point, well, you think about what he Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Thinking. Yeah. That was foolish on his part. So he gives Laban permission to try to find him. So he goes all through Leah's tent and and all that. And he goes through the two handmaids' tents and you know the narrator's sort of trying our nerves as we do this, you know. And finally he comes to Rachel's tent and he looks all through Rachel's tent, but where were they in her tent? Sitting on them. Yeah, they were in the saddle she was sitting on. So he doesn't find them. And uh, what does he do when she gets up from the saddle? She doesn't. She doesn't. Why not? Because she doesn't want to die. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. She's saying that uh, she's on her monthly cycle and that she's just not feeling well enough, doesn't have the energy or whatever to, to get up. Which, wow. Everything you want to think about that is really kind of uh, interesting. For one thing, don't you see Rachel as a very true daughter of her father and a very true wife of her husband, she is a trickster herself. <laughs> She's not to be outdone by her relatives, of all things. That was, that was some quick thinking on her part. You know, I don't even know whether it was true that she was uh, uh, in her cycle or not, but that's, uh, that's what she's saying. Of course, 
you know, think about these gods. You know, not only can they be stolen, but they can be hidden. They can be sat on. And, uh, you know, at least serve as a soft cushion for her, if not something worse. We can lie about them. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, these are gods that uh, can can be uh, certainly treated in some ways. You wouldn't think of a god being able to be treated by a mere human. Uh, I, think, I think they really become sort of contemptible images to us. Well, and yet she risks her life, <laughs> essentially, yeah. for them. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yes. Cameron. I think it's pretty cool that when... Um, I'm going to blink on his name, but the guy that touched the ark and he died. Uzza. Uzza, yeah, that's it. Well, when he just touched it to help save it from falling, he dies. And yet when she's sitting on these guys, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't get hurt in any way. She just sits on them. Yes. I think that's kind of <laughs> I don't think these gods had quite as much power as the Lord. What do you think? Say little, little G God versus yeah. G God. It's quite a difference, isn't there? That's the respect they deserve, too. <laughs> well, I suspect. You know, you. I, I don't know, but I can imagine. You know later Israelites sitting around telling the story and enjoying it, especially in their non-idolatrous non periods. You know, this, this has got to have been a story that uh, created a good bit of laughter and, uh, you know, poking fun at those gods. Uh, and I think the Lord sort of intends that. Here. I mean, I think we're told a few of these details just to realize how pathetically weak these gods really are. But... She, she uh, hides him. You know, she manages to deceive her father. And uh, he, he can't find him. Of course, how does Jacob feel then? He's, He's outraged. This is like 20 years of angry frustration that just explodes right here. You know, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you finally pursued me? You fell through all my good. You know, He's just, he just beside himself. But it's this a pretty is, good speech, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that's wrong with it is, Laban was right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but he doesn't know that. Laban doesn't know that. But yeah, it is. It's quite a speech. I mean, he, he goes through well, this Jacob whole ordeal. Jacob is innocent in this anyway. Jacob is. Jacob doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, pretty much nobody realizes the truth here, so... Uh, it's, it's kind of funny, but but he does give vent to all of his you know gripes and and I think legitimate complaints when it's all said and done. But it's like I've slaved away for twenty years for you, and you've done all this to me, and now you come and pursue me and make these false accusations and blah blah blah. And so he's pretty pretty irate. Comments and thoughts. something that was brought up in our class um, that apparently in Joshua 24 14 now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord and so that could be talking about these gods that Rachel is sitting on good point yeah good point <laughs> agree at least would include them and after, after the night before, it's a little surprising that Laban's still looking for his gods, being spoken to by the God. You know, what is, when, when has his gods ever spoken to him? <laughs> good point. You know? Now would well, be a good time to start speaking so we could find them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can't even answer him. <laughs> they must have been pretty prominent in his life for him to have missed those, too. You're right. You know, if it had been some keepsakes, we wouldn't even have known whether they were gone for a year or two. <coughs> you know, so he must consult them frequently. It'll, it makes sense to me in a way that they would actually go through a lot to... I mean, that they would actually have feelings for these gods. Um, because, like, to me, it, I think 
the reason they become so attached to them is not because they've done anything for them because they haven't. They just sit there and in their position, whatever, they're made of wood, whatever. But I think they get so attached to them, it's almost it's almost weird to not have them. Does that make it it'd almost be like uh it's an illustration like she she would have been so attached to Disney it would almost be weird for her to not have it. So I think that part of it that's why I think maybe that's why they were so attached to these idols, maybe because that was just that was just you know that was just them. That's they've had it for so long. It was just almost habit, maybe. And I think they trusted him. I think they really did think these gods had powers and they needed the help of the gods. I mean, there are people today that probably, uh, you know, are quite tied to their horoscope or to their, you know, psychic reader or whatever, you know, who really live by those, you know, connections with the supernatural. So I think it's, I think it's probably more that. But let me ask something. Else. Do you think it would be almost wrong for people to think to, to carry around something that gave them good luck? or that they thought gave them good luck? Well, I mean, if we think that there is some other force that controls what happens than the Lord, then that's probably not right. I mean, I don't know beyond that exactly. I mean, it's, some people think differently about that good luck, too. Sometimes our superstitions, we really know they're not true, but we still kind of, you know, act on them. I don't know. I've never been a superstitious guy in any sense. <laughs> you didn't have a rabbit's foot? I didn't. <laughs> it's kind of like the more I practice, the luckier I get. So if you want to call that a superstitious. <laughs> exactly. I think it's interesting to me the way that Jacob refers to God in verse 42. You know, the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. Well, why does he go back to, is he going, doesn't he go to Isaac there twice? You know, and what, what's, is there some significance there or something to tie that statement to? Yeah, I don't know that I know a good answer to that other than, you know, uh, he's a fearful God. He's a God that his father feared and respected and saw as great. I don't know. What do you think? Why doesn't he say he's the fear of Abraham? Well, maybe because he'd seen the respect Isaac had for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, maybe it could have been because he was afraid what Isaac would do now that he's already blessed him and given him what he <laughs> should have given Esau, and now maybe he's not on his dad's good side anymore. You know, or, Actually, never was, but... I think he's just wound up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can make the case there, too. What exactly did he see in Isaac to show the fear of God? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, the uh, showing the favorites and the... There's not a lot of information about Isaac either, but yeah. What and he doesn't call him his God in that passage. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, wouldn't it be his God until they got back to Bethel safe? <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting thought. Yes, uh, it's perceptive. And then the judgment that he's talking about—he rendered judgment. I assume that's the appearing to Laban. Yes. 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 I think so. Yeah. In other words, God has basically declared Himself on Jacob's side. Right. Yeah. I wanted to go back. Sure. About the idols, I think it's really hard for us to identify at all with idols and worship of idols. But, you know, Tao being in the family and her family being idol worshippers has um, put a little fresher light on it in what Cass said about um, having this, this um, familiarity, or maybe, or this love for these idols. 
She tells of her mother would not let them take a bite of food until she had fed the idol. She had offered this food to the idol first. And you do that daily, you know, every time you eat a meal, it becomes a part of you. And I can see why he would have missed this, if indeed he does that. She says that her mother has a shrine in her house. So, you know, we don't know. Good point. Yeah. About this. And yeah, you can imagine that growing up like that, you'd mm -hmm. feel quite a sense of need for mm -hmm. that God. Mm -hmm. Just the routine of it, like he was saying. Just Very interesting. We might have some of those gods ourselves. Yes, <laughs> yes, our gods take a different form. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of some of the, the rites and rituals that are in like the Catholic Church, for example. Though some of those, there, you know, I've I've even described it as a very comforting religion in the sense of, you know, you've got all these things that if you do something wrong, you just do this, and it's always the same, and it's very um, familiar. becomes very familiar with the the people who practice this, and you know they get that. That little, yeah, that little warm vibe whenever they do it, and they feel like something's wrong when they've missed it. Yeah, and Catholicism may be uh, the closest thing in our experience to having sort of this kind of a thing. I mean, there would be Catholics that wouldn't travel without... Is it St. Christopher St. that's supposed to uh, keep you from having wrecks and things like that? And, and, you know, I mean, some would be very faithful to do the sign of the cross whenever they passed a, you know church building where there undoubtedly be a crucifix or whatever and you know things like that that they would feel very strongly about that you know I mean they wouldn't go in a Catholic church building without you know taking a knee and and uh, you know honoring the Lord and and all that sort of I mean when you do that when you see that done a lot you know then it becomes a part of you and it becomes something you really believe has power it becomes a reflex almost. yeah it does but I mean you would feel like I mean I suspect there are some Catholics that if you know, Christopher wasn't with them, they'd, they'd be frightened to, to travel, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have the protection. You know, if you really think for a long time that this is really doing something for you, then you, you're insecure without it. <coughs> Other thoughts? Like Jacob, or, yeah, Jacob, if he hadn't put the sticks in, it had been working for him putting those sticks in the water making those breeding things. But if he had not put him in, it still would have worked because God was behind it. Yeah, so exactly. He, he would have felt like it's not going to work now. Yes. <clears throat> but You're it right. has nothing to do with it because God's in control. That's in control if you're making a safe travel or whatever. Yes, absolutely. We can misidentify the cause of things. We can think that we're causing something when we have nothing at all to do with it. You know, we just thought we did. That can almost be really distracting and really almost prideful to us if we do think that sometimes, like somebody can really think that they did something great and really boast up their pride, boost up their pride, and realize you know that it was actually God. You know, God's behind everything. Nothing happens that God doesn't intend to happen. Um, and I think a lot of people won't look at it like that. They'll look at it as no matter. No matter what happens, if they have anything to do with the situation, no matter what it was, that it's their doing yeah. and that yeah. they're great and that they have all this, you know, power to do all this stuff to everybody and that, that just almost makes you prideful. So we really need to acknowledge the Lord and not lift ourselves up. Well, about 43 to 55. Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to these children whom they have born? So now, <coughs> come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it, as, uh, set it up as a pillar. 
Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it Jagar Shahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent, one from the other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. <coughs> Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar, which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban <coughs> arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. All right. So, Laban is willing to let them go on. They're his daughters, his children. He says, I can't really do anything to them. Uh, but what does Laban want? Covenant. Yeah. Almost like a peace treaty. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, an agreement between the two of them. And so they take a stone and make it into a pillar. They gather stones around it and make a heap. And this is going to kind of be a witness pile of stones um, and particularly look at verse 49 which interestingly is used in a very different connection in our day if people only knew what this really went back to but may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from, from the other what he's really saying by that is what harm one another <laughs> exactly may the Lord keep us from uh, you know, hurting each other. Yeah. You know, this is basically invoking God's oversight because they're suspicious of each other and they're trying to seek protection from each other's malice. You know, people use that today, you know, like, well, when we're apart, may the Lord bless you and keep you kind of a thing. But that's not at all what it means here. Um, and he said, if you mistreat my daughters, you, or if you take any other wives besides my daughters, then may God punish you for that. It's kind of funny because, you know, who was it that really caused Jacob's polygamy in the first place? You know, he would have only had one if it hadn't been for, you know, Laban's shenanigans. So that's, that's kind of uh, hypocritical somewhat on his part. But at any rate, they set up this pillar, they have this covenant meal, and they, they swear that they will not hurt each other, they will not, you know, they will, they will treat each other and, and right, and he will treat right his uh, Laban's daughters. Comments and thoughts on this? Verse 53, that he connected <coughs> their two lineages back to Nahor, the god of Nahor. But he skipped over his, it went, Abraham then Nahor. He skipped over Isaac. Mm -hmm. And then again, he swears on the fear of Isaac. That confuses me. Well, <coughs> Perhaps in 53, he's talking about their common ancestors. Which Isaac would not have been a common ancestor of Laban. Right. I guess Abraham wouldn't have been either, though, now that I think about it. Oh, well. He would have been his, you know... Well, let's see. What would... He would have been his... Uncle and great-uncle, I think. So I don't know, uh, but but at least they would have had more commonality with Abraham and Nahor, and their father. Uh, but to swear by the fear of, of Isaac might have been more meaningful to Jacob himself. Yeah. Who are these? Jacob keeps calling his kinsmen to the meal, or you know, has his kinsmen build up a heap. Is he talking about his sons, or 
just like the or, whole extended family, both sides kind of thing that. I don't know. Good question. Because, I mean, there's this one place where you've got Jacob and his kinsmen and, and Laban and his kinsmen, and they're two, they sound like they're two separate groups since they're... I yeah, I mean, you could see it being his children and his wives. Okay. I mean, I, as far as I know, he didn't have anybody else he was related to. Yeah, unless their servants are considered part of their yeah, clan or kinsmen or... Yeah, it could be. Probably a quiet meal. <laughs> <laughs> Stare at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you take my piece. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they were each on their side of the pile of stones. Yeah. <laughs> Peeping around to see if the other one was staring back at them or something. <laughs> there was probably a line right across the pile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, this, they, they are not on particularly friendly terms, even though they leave with a covenant. This is kind of a gritting their teeth and making the covenant. Laban's still getting a couple jabs saying, all this stuff really is mine. But yeah, exactly. I, you know, he's yeah, but I'll let you have it. Yeah. Yeah, Jacob asked him, you know, take what's yours. And he said, well, all of it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah, there, boy, there's no love lost between these two guys anymore. If there ever was, there isn't now. And then does verse 55, and there are a couple other places as well, does that kind of indicate that Laban saw his grandsons as his own sons? Yeah, although son and daughter can mean grandson and granddaughter too, I think, in the Old Testament. Because he kisses his sons and his daughters and blesses them, except I'm assuming that his own actual sons went back with him. Right. No, I think this means uh, Leah and Rachel's children. children. That he children. claims as his own and his right. Right, right. Yes, these are the children of my children, as he said back in 43. So that's, that's really true. He does claim that he owns all of them. You can see why Jacob really needed to get away from there. You know, this is not a healthy relationship. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, whatever happened to leave and cleave, you know? <laughs> uh, in this uh, heap of stones also just means that they won't pass it to do one another harm. Right. It doesn't mean that they won't ever cross that way. <clears throat> I've heard that maybe said that way before, but it doesn't mean that they can't go to one another's right. country. Or, right. Or it doesn't even indicate that they never saw each other again. It's just that Right. they're agreeing... You don't ever pass this point with the intention of doing harm to the other. I agree with you. Other thoughts? Would they have ever seen each other again? Or do we know that? I don't think there's any record that would indicate that they did, but I don't have a way of knowing. So this whole mill, is Rachel still on her donkey? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think she was on the donkey to begin with. She was just on the saddle. Our saddle. Yeah. She was on a camel. <laughs> was the camel in the tent? <laughs> well, she was on the camel saddle, so. <laughs> I'm assuming she was on the saddle, but not on the camel. Okay. <laughs> That's been my understanding. I don't know. Ah, uh, well, I suppose she probably got feeling better after this when the meal was served or something. I don't know. She was just randomly sitting on the saddle. I'd be a little suspicious. Well, but she's got problems, female issues. So. Sit on the ground. Why a saddle? I think that well, maybe it would cushion her, make her feel better. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. know. You don't ask questions about Keep things like that. <laughs> you know, I'm saying if you're Laban. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think from Laban's standpoint, that's a good way of muting the conversation. And think of uh, what a saddle could have consisted of, in the sense that it's a pile of blankets, essentially. Yeah. So it would be softer than sitting on the ground or a rock. Okay, that's true. <laughs> think, and think of how cowboys use uh, saddles in the Old West. They used them as pillows and stuff, if the Westerns are right, of course. <laughs> well, that was <laughs> well done there. <laughs> 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 Got me out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and all of, part of this um, 
making this covenant. We've got our heap and we've got our meal and I mean there are other places where it talks in more detail about having a meal to kind of mark the covenant and all of that. But yeah, I think that is what we have example. here. Yes, exactly. Yeah, a meal sort of uh, solidifies uh, the covenant. Uh, kind of like, uh, I don't know, didn't they, I mean, wouldn't you have done that even like maybe with the Indians or whatever, they smoke the peace pipe and maybe have a meal together or something like that? Seems like I remember that somewhere. It makes sense to me anyway. Other thoughts? All right. Um, chapter 32. Let's look a little bit at this. We don't have a whole long time, but uh, I can figure out... Uh, where we're at here. Uh, somebody want to read one and two, first of all. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Yes, and so Jacob is pursuing the travel now with his family. Interesting that the angels of God met him because it kind of reminds you of when he was fleeing from Esau on his way to Padanaram in chapter 28 when he saw the ladder with the angels going up and coming down. And then, how about 3 to 8? Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Okay. So, this is sort of the day that Jacob had been dreading for 20 years. The day he comes back. And he's concerned about Esau, so he sends messengers to tell him that he's on his way. And to tell him that he's got plenty of animals. Maybe that's to indicate he wouldn't be taking any of Esau's. And what do the messengers report back to Jacob? He and 400 of his buddies are coming to meet you. Whoa. That is terrifying. Esau's on his way. He's coming to meet you. And he's got 400 soldiers with him. That's what Jacob thinks. Wow. What do you do? It's one of the most frightening things Jacob's ever faced, I believe. Because <clears throat> what does he do? He's not really very maneuverable. You know, he divides everybody into two companies saying, well, if Esau attacks one, then the other one will escape. Maybe. <laughs> wow. This is just really an unsettling, this is unsettling news. I'm sure he was hoping after 20 years, you know, Esau had kind of gotten over it. But it sure doesn't sound like it, does it? And can you imagine all that he was imagining? All of his dreads <clears throat> flashing before his eyes. Comments. You don't really see him exalting God or even thinking about God. He seems to have his own plan again. Yes. Now, he does pray in 9 to 12. We must acknowledge that. Um, but he also has his plan. But I think that things are starting to change in the sense that you know Jacob may have a plan but I don't think he has much confidence in his plan you know he's going to give a lot of presents to Esau and that might be nice but I don't know what the presents are really going to do for a guy who's been plotting murder for 20 years 
and he's got 400 men with him? I mean, can, can't you imagine what Jacob has got in his mind? You know, can't you imagine the scenario and how it's playing out in his mind? I, I suspect he's in abject terror. And, and, and that, you know, that's kind of where the Lord wanted him to be right now. Because you, some people aren't going to learn their need for the Lord until God absolutely knocks everything out from under them and they're dangling by a thread. I mean, sometimes it, you've got to be scared half out of your life to stop and realize, I believe I need God. So I, be, I think that God is shaping the circumstance in a way that is going to be helping Jacob to reflect more and leading up to what I see as the major change in his life that made him from a Jacob into an Israel. Other comments and thoughts? <clears throat> well, he's thinking that we're two groups. If he kills one of them, the other might escape. Right. So, I mean, he's thinking, he's not too confident of, about his plan. Yeah, that doesn't sound very optimistic. You know, he'll only get half of us. The, uh, I have a note here that <coughs> this is whenever in verse 2, Jacob said, he saw them, this is God's camping, name the place, my hand I am, or whatever, that that means double camp. Mm-hmm which at that point is apparently referring to Jacob's camp and the angel's camp. But then later on, he divides his company into two, so it's double camp that way, too. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, good observation. Other thoughts? All right, well, we probably should then stop here and not try to uh, move farther in this uh, chapter, but we will work on this, Lord willing, next week, uh, chapter 22 and probably or 32 and probably 33 also. And my schedule is that I should be here the next two Thursdays, and then I'll be gone for several. I'll be gone for probably at least four to Brazil. So. But I should be here for the next two. Thank you.